Well, hey, fans of Biblical Genetics, this is Dr. C welcoming you to another episode. This is Jacob's Livestock. Now, you're going to hear the sound change quite a bit between this little intro and the main presentation because I had to move inside. A big old thunderstorm blew up while I was talking. And, you know, I mean, what would a in summer in Georgia evening be without a thunderstorm? But the uh, it was just too loud, too windy, too rainy, too many branches breaking and, and things flying around. So I came inside. Um, before we get into it, I need to thank a couple of donors. Um, Christopher S., thank you so much. And Ken F., you have been uh, very supportive, and I really, really, really appreciate it. A couple of anonymous people have also donated, and I appreciate you very much. I do have a few people on a monthly rotation in um, Buy Me a Coffee, and so every month they drop a few things uh, towards me, and it's really nice, really helpful, just helps power me through all this, because this does cost money and does take a lot of time, and I'm not complaining because I love doing this, but if you like to support things, maybe I'm a worthy cause, maybe you could give me a consideration. Now I'm going to jump into this. This is one of my favorite ones I've done so far because I'm actually talking about genetics and I'm actually talking about the Bible at the same time, believe it or not. And I'm getting into a biblical question. And the question is, is this actually genetics or is this just magic? Could Jacob really do what the Bible claims? And what on earth are those sticks about? I'm going to answer those questions. Hold on to your hat. On today's episode of Biblical Genetics, a biblical passage that has caused theologians to turn themselves into pretzels trying to explain. A passage that has had modern geneticists scratching their heads. A passage that skeptics have jumped on, have seized upon, to claim the Bible is full of nonsense. We're talking about Jacob's breeding experiments in Genesis chapters 30 and 31, where Jacob took an all-white flock of sheep and goats and turned them into a flock of striped and speckled and spotted black and white sheep and goats. He did this by taking sticks and peeling the bark into strips and therefore when the animals came to breed they saw the sticks and it came out with stripes. Okay, did Jacob really believe in magic? That's an interesting question. Is it true? Well, if he did, does that make the Bible wrong? No, it just means that Jacob didn't know what was going on. But what if he was more careful as a husbandman of his animals than people have given him credit for? Now, the setup for this passage is that Jacob has now worked for 14 years for his wives. Now, his first wife, he didn't anticipate having two. He worked seven years for the woman that he loved. He told his future father-in-law, I will work seven years so that I can marry this woman. He goes, okay. But then on the wedding night, he was tricked and they slipped in the older sister and in the morning he wakes up and says, wait a minute, this isn't the woman I wanted. And the father-in-law says, tell you what, you work seven years for that first one, you can work seven years for the second one, and now you have two wives. So Jacob says, okay, but misunderstanding. A lot of people think he worked 14 years to get the woman that he loved. It's not true. The Bible specifically says, wait until the bridal week is finished. In other words, you waited seven years, take another week. Now you're indebted to us, or to me, the father-in-law would say, for another seven years of work. That's the setup. Now, it's 14 years into this, and he doesn't have a nickel to his name. He's got two wives, he's got a bunch of sons, he's got daughters, and what's he gonna do? He needs some retirement income. So he says, hey, father-in-law, I wanna make you a deal. Tell you what, why don't 
I take out of all these flocks that I've cared for all these years, why don't I just take the ones that have some color to them? Not the white ones, those can be yours. I'll take all the other ones. My father-in-law says, okay. And then he proceeds to remove all the ones with any sort of color to them. And he takes them and puts them three days away. So Jacob is stuck with an all white flock. Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. By the way, we pretty much know what species those are. And that plane is a common tree in Asia and Europe. P-L-A-N-E, not P-L-A-I-N. It's the plane tree. He peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Really? There's another thing here where he separates them, and he points the face of the flock towards the other. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what that means. There's some passages, parts of this passage, that are very difficult to understand. And one reason is, this is not a passage on genetics. We're not in, there's no intent of the Bible here to explain how the birds and the bees work or how genes are passed on or what controls the coloration in the fur of these animals. But it is a historical passage and it's either true or not. So let's get into the tree question first. The three trees that he chose, the poplar, the almond, and the plane tree. Some people have claimed that by peeling the bark off of these trees and putting them in the water, it created a medicinal effect, a soporific effect, a sleepy effect. It slowed the animals down, at least the females down, so the males that Jacob wanted to breed would breed them. I have a trouble with that because it would take, in my mind at least, a lot of material to have enough in the water that it could actually drug a large animal like a sheep or a goat. Other people have said, oh, no, 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 uh, it's a decoy. He would set up the sticks and put a fleece over it so that the animals he did not want to breed, when they came up, they would mount the decoy and therefore they wouldn't breed, but the ones he wanted to would breed. I don't like that either. Possibly put it up as a fence. It was a barrier and the stripes were just for stripes for fun or maybe it was symbolic or maybe he believed in magic. I don't think so because of a part that's coming up next. Starting in verse 41, whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, note that, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flocks so that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flocks, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, his father-in-law, and the stronger, Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. So he's getting wealthy off of this because he's getting a lot of animals and his father-in-law is not getting hardly any. But notice here, he knew the difference between one type of animal and another. And he said the stronger ones. So think about this, ready? All the foods that we eat, all the animals we eat, the clothes that we wear that are not made of synthetic materials, you know, wool and cotton and things like that. These things have been cultivated by farmers for millennia. Millennia of farmers applying their wisdom, studying, observing, testing, trying to figure things out. And even if they didn't have a knowledge of modern genetics, they still knew how to breed things. They still knew how to cultivate things. And all the things that we have today came from that process. 
So here's Jacob, a husbandman. He's a herdsman. He's been living with these animals night and day for 14 years. You think he may have noticed a few things? But he understands that there are some strong ones and some weak ones, and he wants the strong ones to breed and not the weak ones. And it just so happens that when the strong ones bred, they produce animals that did not have pure white fur. Okay. Could we recreate this today? That's an interesting question. Could we have some you know, flock out there and breed them and take the white ones or stronger ones and the weaker ones and get it to the point where they're, they're producing a whole bunch of animals that aren't white? Maybe not for a couple of reasons. One, just by chance, the genetics of that flock might have been lost to time. Just because that flock existed in the Padan Aram area of northwest Syria at one point in time doesn't mean there are any descendants today. Or the descendants of those animals could be so spread out that you don't have them concentrated in one spot to have this genetic experiment. Possibly mutation has destroyed the original genetics of the system. Whatever it was that Jake was trying to breed, it could have mutated and now it's no longer with us. Or recombination. Every generation as those chromosomes of the mother and the father recombine, well, if recombination happened in some stretch of DNA that was important for the determination of colors in these animals, it might have gotten scrambled to oblivion. So it might not even exist for that reason. Interesting. But there are a lot of other factors at play also. Genetics is really complicated and the genetic control of coat color in animals is extremely complicated. Multiple genes, multiple alleles, a lot of things happening here. So in genetics, we have this thing called incomplete penetrance. That is, just because you have a gene doesn't mean that gene is expressed. It can have a lot of expression or little expression, even though it's present because there are other things influencing how much gene product you're going to get. And if that gene is involved in some regulation pathway for the coloration of the fur, it doesn't matter if they have the gene or not. There might be other factors at play. Another factor is codominance. Just because a gene is there doesn't mean it's going to have an absolute effect because there might be another gene, the same gene, different version of the same gene, and they're competing with one another. So maybe this is white and this is purple. And if they carry both, the result is something that's maybe in between like pink, not in sheep, but maybe in flowers or something like that. Codominance. Another thing is X-linked patterns. There are a lot of genes that are linked to the X chromosome. Male pattern baldness. Oh yeah, I got that from my mom. Things that predominantly affect the males of the mammalian species because males only carry one copy. And if there's mutation on that, they don't have a backup. So females, even though they carry it, they rarely ever show it because the probability of a female having two broken copies of an X chromosome with the same mutation is very rare. If let's say a colorblindness is in 10% of, of X chromosomes, that means that 10% of the males are going to be colorblind, but only 1% of the females. Because 0.1 times 0.1 is 0.01, 1%. So I don't think this is an X-linked factor in these sheep, but it's definitely a complicating thing that might be happening at the same time because it's, we're dealing with the males here. And the males are what are driving uh, this color change. Also, there could be multiple alleles of the same gene. So you have different animals, even if they all carry that same gene, they have different versions of it. And if there's three or four or five alleles in this gene, the genetics can become really complicated. 
Another factor is there could be multiple genes, and we know that multiple genes affect the, the skin and hair color of all sorts of different mammals, including sheep and goats. We know that because of modern genetics. We've sequenced them. We know the main drivers of color variations. It's really complicated. Another factor could be epigenetics. We know that outside factors influence genetic expression. Genes can turn on or turn off according to the environment. And we know that in some cases, specifically in one breed of mice and some maybe some cats, yes, and in some rabbits, we know that the environment can influence the pattern of the color in the fur. So epigenetics might also have something to do with this. And of course, there is always the providence of God. God is superintending something. This might be a miracle. This might not actually be scientific at all. No, I think it is, but it doesn't have to be. God could be doing something special here. Now, does that mean that God is stealing from Laban? Is he defrauding him? Well, no, because remember, Laban has tried to defraud um, Jacob on multiple times. First with the wife switch. That wasn't very nice. And also in here, we learn that he changed Jacob's wages many times. He might have said, oh, well, if the animals are striped, they'll be yours. And all the animals are striped. Oh, if the animals are spotted, then they'll be yours. And all the animals are spotted. So God has had some supernatural control of some genetic system that's preconditioned on genetic factors and things that we can't reproduce today. Interesting. But there's something else here. I'm going to read you from chapter 31. I'm going to start in verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah. Those are his two wives. Well, he actually has four wives, but the other two are called concubines. I call them a wife, um, but legally there's some issues there. But two main legal wives, Rachel and Leah, into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. <laughs> Imagine that. But the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. If he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Oh, God revealed this to him in a dream. He doesn't have to know what's going on. He can have no idea of what God's doing here what's happening internally in these animals. We know that God told him to do something, and now he's doing it. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now rise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. So Bethel is a place where uh, Jacob uh, saw the, the, the ladder of God, the angels descending and uh, ascending on this ladder on his way to Syria. Now he's going home with a brood of children, four wives, men servants, men servants, camels, donkeys, and a whole lot of sheep and a whole lot of goats. And interestingly, I do believe that all of these people would not be arrayed in white gowns because all of Jacob's flocks had color in their fur. So they're probably brown or black or striped or something like that. But any of the things that's being knitted and woven from these fibers, from these hairs, 
is actually going to have some color to them. So put that in your historical bucket as you try to perceive and think about what these people were like. Well, there you have it. Quick and dirty little account of Jacob's breeding experiment. This is not something to run away from. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something that can absolutely happen through genetics, careful observation, and the providence of God. Which of those is true? I'm not necessarily sure. I think all three of them are true at some level in some way. The Bible can be trusted. This is not something that's wrong. Well, that's all for this episode of Biblical Genetics. I hope you like that. For the article, go to biblicalgenetics.com. Go to this, this session. Click on it. There'll be a link there. There'll be some other links about coat color and things like that in these animals. A lot of cool things. You can also help support this channel through Buy Me A Coffee. It's just a little app. You click on there, you can drop a couple dollars in there and help fuel some of my late night editing sessions. The skeptics out there are throwing logs in front of us, trying to trip us up, but most of those logs are little sticks that are easy to break. The really hard ones, there are a few out there, sure. They take study. They take determined effort. This particular one took me a while to crack because I needed to learn a lot about the genetics of, of fur. And I didn't know it really before I really started and really thought, oh, there are ways to do this. So there you go. Jacob's Livestock.